Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace News Roundup. This is the news roundup for the week of November 9th to November 15th. This week we'll bring you updates on a small geo order from APT Satellite, the emergence of yet another commercial launch company, among other launch updates, a little bit of information on this year's China High Tech Fair, but first a review of a Long March 6 launch from a couple of weeks ago. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. Welcome to this week's episode. As mentioned, we are going to first discuss a Long March 6 launch from a couple of weeks ago. I would note this was from November 6th, but we had a lot of different news updates last week, so it has been slated to this week. The Long March 6 launch was、uh, it included 13 satellites, of which 10 were for Satellogic, which is an Argentinian Earth observation、uh, constellation operator. One of them was for Northwest Polytechnic University in Xi'an. Uh, one of them was a satellite jointly built by Minospace,、uh, Adaspace, and the UESTC, and one of them was a satellite jointly built for Beihang,、uh, SpaceD, and, and ThrustMe.、Um, so we've had several noteworthy elements to this launch, and I will first give a brief overview of the ten satellites for Satellogic before turning it over to Jean.、Um, so for Satellogic, this is a rather—it's、uh, a pretty unique company insofar as it is an Argentinian company that has received. A lot of funding from Tencent, and has, as it, possibly as a result, has seen some success in the Chinese market. So, as I mentioned,、uh, Satellogic has an Earth observation constellation, and their biggest success thus far in China was a contract that they signed last year with a company called Abdas and with the Henan government to sell Earth observation data to Abdas, which is acting as a sort of service provider working with the Henan government to analyze this data. And so, basically, again, you have an Argentinian company that has built the satellites. Primarily in Argentina, or possibly entirely in Argentina.、Um, in this case, they were launched on a Chinese rocket, and the funding was coming from Tencent.、Um, and this seems to have given them better access to the Chinese market. So I think definitely an interesting example of a foreign space company that has done、um, fairly well in China, it seems thus far. And、uh, it will be interesting to see whether the、uh, this rather high-profile launch brings them more success in the the Chinese market. Again, they were the Sort of lead、uh, customer for this launch with ten of the thirteen satellites. That being said,、uh, the other three satellites、uh, may have been even more intriguing. And、uh, Jean, I will hand it over to you to discuss、uh, what were the other payloads on this Long March six launch. Sure, thanks, Blaine. So、um, I have two payloads that I think are worth mentioning. The first one is、um, the Xinxiai twelve satellite, which is、um, basically a small sat that was co-developed by. UESTC, which is a famous electronics、um, university based in Chengdu, and、um, by Adaspace, which is a remote sensing startup also based in Chengdu, and、um, so this satellite was based on the. Minospace、uh, platform, Minospace being a small set manufacturer、um, in,、um, in China, and this satellite was mainly a remote sensing satellite, which is fine, nothing too、um, exceptional about that. But what was interesting and what made this satellite make the headlines actually was that it had a terahertz comms experimental verification payload. So what this was, it was、um, UESTC and Adaspace testing.、Um, Terahertz um, communications um, in a space context. Terahertz being very, very high frequencies that have not been used in space before. So this was 
sort of, I would guess, um, I am a world first. Terahertz is a is an electromagnetic wave that you don't that hasn't been tested in space before. You usually see it in uh, 3D imaging environments, such as, um, for example, airport security scanners. You also see them in the um, in the medical environment. Um, but for space, it's the first, and probably for a reason. Uh, the most important one being that terahertz uh, waves are absorbed by the atmosphere. So typically, doesn't really make sense for a satellite to ground communications. But um, but you know maybe it could be useful in satellite to satellite um, comms. And um, I think the the I mean the funniest part about this um, piece of news, the most interesting one, I would think is that there was also a lot of hype about this satellite. It was hyped as a 6G satellite by UESTC, so the university, um, as well as some Chinese journalists. But this was rapidly contested by a lot of um, telecom specialists in China. I'm saying that, you know, this is no, this is not a 6G satellite. It's just a terahertz experiment. And what happened was that um, USCC took off their initial article. A lot of other newspapers in China did as well. And now in most articles, not all, but most articles that talk about this satellite, they only mention it as a remote sensing satellite. And they don't really even talk about the terahertz experiment anymore. So it's been a little bit hushed up. Um, I don't know why, but it went from, you know, this huge 6G hype all the way to yeah, let's not talk about it. <laughs> so I found that was interesting. It's impressive when you have uh, when you when you've pushed too many buzz phrases, even for the Chinese media in the context of the space industry. It's like, man, who do you have to? What do you have to say to piss off people in a way where you've said too many buzz phrases? But six G <laughs> apparently is not something they take lightly. That's a very very precise definition to six G and terahertz. It is not. So good on them to have been so swift in taking it down. I suppose um, the UESTC they are not uh, not asleep at the wheel. Uh, anyway, yeah, I would agree. Um, the and the next payload uh, that I think is worth mentioning is another CubeSat that was launched by uh, this Long March Six. It's the Beihongsat One, or it can also be translated because it's called Kongshuixing in, in in Chinese. So that's Beihong ATC Satellite One. Maybe you can call it like that. Um, what this was was a satellite that was based on a Space T platform. Space T being a, a CubeSat manufacturer in China, but the payload was co-developed with uh, Beihong University. Um, Beihang University being an aerospace university in Beijing, and more specifically by the laboratory for ATC technology and systems of this university. What this payload was basically was an ADSB experimental payload, ADSB being um, this tracking system for aircraft that is um, that's automatic um, and that's continuous. And this is really this is really a major improvement to compared to what was done before and even today, which is using primary and secondary radars. Um, and this was marketed by Beihang University as being the first ADSB um, satellite of China. I'm not sure if that is completely true, based on the fact that we have other constellations in China also um, working on ADSB and that have already put some satellites out there. So I'm not sure if uh, for sure it's one of the first ADSB um, payloads. And um, last thing that's interesting about this satellite, about the Beihang Sat One, is that um, it had a lot of different bits and pieces of other uh, space companies making specific parts. And this is where you see that um, what, you know, we're used to seeing um, typically an infographic on the, on the Chinese new space um, ecosystem where you see various logos of various companies um, over different parts of the value chain, but you don't connect the dots. And basically this satellite really connects the dots because you have the platform by Space T, you have Beihong building the payload, but you have also French company ThrustMe um, that was uh, building, that provided an electric propulsion thruster. 
and this was not the first cooperation, by the way, with Space T. You have a, a company called Nanjing Intian that provided a laser satellite to ground comms uh, module. And you had another um, space startup called Thermatake based in Beijing and founded in 2017 that's fo that focuses specifically on thermal control systems. So you see really bits of p and pieces of the entire system, uh, ecosystem, coming together and onto, and this is really um, representative, I think, uh, of what Beihang Sat 1 is, really is. So that's, that's, that's interesting to see. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think on this launch, one of the things that we saw is really to a certain extent, kind of the cream of the crop, as it were, of the commercial satellite manufacturers in China. Because I mean, if, if I'm thinking about who are the, the sort of most well-established commercial satellite manufacturers in China, it would have to be Minospace, SpaceCity, probably ComSat, and maybe Galaxy Space. But but I think Minospace and SpaceCity and probably ComSat are the three that have been around for the longest and are making the largest uh, and sort of largest diversity of satellites. And I think it, it, and this is a little bit speculative, but when looking at the, the uh, in particular, the SpaceCity ThrustMe satellite, uh, one of the articles that I had seen mentioned that uh, ThrustMe had received ESA funding for this project, which kind of makes me believe it's possible that ThrustMe would have been paying SpaceD for kind of a ride on this satellite rather than SpaceD buying a thruster from ThrustMe. Now, I don't want to say that is a certainty because again, it's speculation, but but that is what that is my feeling here. Um, and if we think about that, it's like well, SpaceD is apparently quite competitive than it offering kind of rides to orbit for, for thrusters that need testing. I mean, I, I presume that if ThrustMe had the opportunity of launching this on a European satellite for a comparable price or in a comparable time frame or whatever else, they would have done it, um, but I, they did not. And I, I remember reading maybe last year, there was an interview with ThrustMe's CEO, I think, and she had mentioned that one of the reasons they had worked with SpaceD previously is that SpaceD moved very fast. It was like 10 months or something from the time they signed the contract to the time their first satellite was in orbit. So um, interesting example of, of collaboration between, again, what could be kind of the cream of the crop of the Chinese satellite manufacturers and European companies that may be able to derive some value from this access to orbit uh, that, that these satellites offer. Um, yeah. Okay. So, anything else, John, on the Long March six six uh, D launch? Maybe Long just, just want to add one one thing on, on that Beihang set. I, I also think that it's it's a sign of a growing maturity of the Chinese new space ecosystem, where you see that a company, and that was what was initially the case. You had companies like maybe Space T, but others really um, trying to have a vertical integration on the entire satellite manufacturing value chain. But here you see um, the company really handing, handing out, um, um, you know, the parts that are really specialized and very specific to make. And that just, I think, mm. suggests the idea of a growing sophistication of their products where, you know, the really specialized things just give it to the people that are really specialized on that module and that do it really well. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's growing maturity. Of, of, of the Chinese ecosystem. For sure. Um, and that's all for me. Agreed. So moving on to the first item of news that is actually from this week, because again, that was a, about a 10 day old piece of news there, which was actually phenomenally interesting. But um, we have uh, APT Satellite has placed a small geostationary satellite order and they had filed uh, with the Hong Kong Securities Exchange earlier in the week. And the small geo order is a satellite based on the Dongfang Hong 3E platform, uh, which is variously quoted as being either 3,200 kilograms or more likely about 1,300 kilograms based on the fact that the press release mentions a Long March 2C, which as John uh, helpfully mentioned to me earlier is a 
too small of a rocket to launch a 3200 kilogram satellite to geostationary transfer orbit. The satellite is also noteworthy because it is an all electric thruster satellite, so it will not be using traditional fuel to get to, uh, tr not be using traditional chemical fuel to get to orbit. Um, also noteworthy is the price tag. It's about 137 million US dollars for the satellite plus launch and everything else. And it's not entirely clear how large the payload will be. And it's rather hard to discern sort of the CapEx efficiency without knowing how many gigabits per second the satellite will be. Uh, but probably it's safe to assume this would be a tens of gigabits per second up to maybe like 100 gigabits per second satellite maybe. Um, given where CAST is right now with their satellite manufacturing capabilities and just given the, I mean, it, it's considered a high throughput satellite in the the press release, so it, it is certainly um, it is you know going to use frequency reuse and, and otherwise uh, should have a, a rather significant amount of capacity. Um, last point I would mention is that it, it is uh, a a press release I read from China Great Wall about the sale mentioned that it's going to be KU band HTS capacity, which lines up well with the AppStar 6D satellite that just launched, and I guess it kind of lines up a little bit with the original plan that was announced by AppSatcom, the, the Shenzhen subsidiary, which is the operator of AppStar 6D. They had originally announced back in 2016 plans for a three or possibly four satellite global constellation of you know HTS mobility focused constellation. And at the time uh, they said, oh, we've, we've ordered the first one, which was AppStar 6D, and we're going to be ordering the second and third one kind of as we go along. And that second and third one have not really come about yet for a number of reasons, um, but it, it would appear that this could be kind of a, 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 an add-on to that. It's, that's especially apparent if we consider the fact that they would have the same frequency band as the AppStar 6D satellite that was just launched. Um, so yeah, anything from your side, Sean, on the, uh, the AppStar uh, 6E satellite purchase? Mm, just just wanted to add an, um, maybe an element of interest here is, I think you mentioned it, it would be launching on a, on a Long March 2C. Long March 2C is a, a launcher that's specialized in sending satellites into LEO or into sun synchronous orbit. So um, this geo mission for Long March 2C would be a would be a, a first. So that's also interesting from a launcher's point of view. I suppose part of that could be because maybe the by having all electric propulsion, it should have significantly lighter mass. All else equal, yeah, like it would be a, a lighter satellite at, at launch um, because you, yeah, so you you would potentially be able to use a smaller rocket, I guess. But, uh, and, and again, it's a small geo platform apparently. So it's, hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's a good question. I think there's, there's yeah, there's the payload capacity, but there's also to what extent is the upper stage um, optimized for putting satellites into um, geostationary orbit or geostationary transfer orbit. Um, so I'm mm -hmm. not that familiar with the upper stage of the 2C, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be one of the factors. Well, the satellite is going to launch in, uh, it is to, to deli be delivered before the 31st of August, 2023. So China Great Wall has been given their deadline and uh, we will count down the days until then. We have a lot of time to figure out all of the things about electric propulsion between now and, and then. But uh, in the meantime, we wish AppStar and China Great Wall the best of luck in the, uh, the satellite that they have undertaken. Uh, so, Jean, would you like to take us uh, over to, to Xi'an to discuss the emergence of the 29th, and I don't know if it's actually 29th, but with, so it feels like the 29th uh, commercial launch company in China. Would you like to, to discuss our, our Xi'an Freedom Star company? 
Sure. Yeah. So there were two pieces of, of interesting news this week um, that that's coming from launch, but not directly from a rocket launching, but more from the uh, launcher manufacturing sector. Uh, and the first one is, as you mentioned, Blaine, it's a we, we saw the emergence of a company called Xi'an Freedom Star, um, or or in Chinese, I think it's um, Xi'an Xi'an Ziyou Xingchen or something like that. Mm. And um, so it was an article that was published in um, I think uh, one of the main aerospace um, magazines uh, in China. And so we don't really know much about the company. We just know that it, it exists. It completed a number of, t- of tests for the rocket engine of its first rocket, and which would be a solid fueled small lift um, launch vehicle, like a lot of other um, launch companies in China. Um, so yeah, I mean, not much to add on that because we don't know much more, but it's interesting to see that we have just yet another um, solid fueled rocket that, uh, that you know that's on the market and there's really the question of, are they really going to have a market based on the fact that there are so many out there already? And the fact that I think that the satellite, you know, the, 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 the satellite market out there for these um, launchers to launch is, is quite still quite uncertain. So big question mark there, especially uh, since also this company is a, is a late comer. So um, yeah, no question mark there. Um, do you have any thoughts on this uh, Xi'an company or do you want me to move to the other Second piece of news on launch, Blaine. Go ahead, but I'm going to come back to the Xi'an company in about two minutes when you finish up with the other, because it's a nice segue. So I'll let you take us from here, though, on the other launch company. <laughs> so the other one is Space Transportation, a company we've mentioned before. They're a launch company based in Beijing, and they uh, plan to make the Tianqing 123 uh, launch vehicles. And this week, they, they completed uh, the testing of their Linkong 1 um, rocket engine, the Linkong 1 uh, rocket engine is a solid field rocket that is going to uh, propel the Tianqing 2. So one of their um, one of their early um, early rockets. So Tianqing 1 and 2, by the way, just to give some background, is is more for suborbital launches. And we will have Tianqing 3 in the future uh, that's really dedicated to, um, to um, orbital launch. And last point also on space transportation um, is that Space Transportation is a remarkable company because it is planning on developing reusability, not with vertical takeoff and landing, as we usually see in China and in the U.S., but with horizontal landing. So, um, so that's what's remarkable about this. About so that's what's remarkable about this company and the success of Lincoln One and potentially of Tianqing Two very soon uh, could mean um, the sec- like a first launch of Tianqing Three in the future, as Tianqing Two looks very much uh, like Tianqing Three. I'll try to put a a picture here uh, up on the YouTube video. Um, yeah, Blaine, any thoughts? Some cool looking rockets. Looks like a looks like a Concorde <laughs> on a launch pad almost. But um, but yeah. So just a couple of points on um, I guess on on Xi'an Zilio and on Xi'an in general. Uh, so I mean, we've seen a lot of companies coming out of Xi'an recently, and this the Xi'an Zilio is just the, the most recent. We have S Motor, Deep Blue Aerospace. Cast space, uh, AE space—they're all setting up operations in Xi'an, and so it's—it's it's been just, um, I guess, the latest in this trend of space companies moving towards relatively lower-cost cities that still have some aerospace, um, some aerospace kind of uh, foundation there. So, in the case of Xi'an, you have several good universities, including NPU, which we mentioned earlier. Um, and then the other point about Xi'an Ziyou—it just occurred to me now—the fact that we're discovering Xi'an Ziyou at the time of the China High Tech Fair. Uh, it takes me back to last year at the China High Tech Fair when I discovered the company Jilin Enter Space, which is the rocket company of Jilin Province, because every province needs a rocket company. 
And so I think this is now just sort of part of a tradition in China that every year around the high tech fair, we just learn about some new rocket company from some sort of second or third tier province. And so uh, that being said, um, the last item of news of the week is that the China high tech fair was this past week in Shenzhen. And just a little bit of context on the China high tech fair. This is one of the largest and oldest trade fairs in China. So last year would have been, I think, 21st, this year, 22nd anniversary, although I could be a little bit off on those years. But basically, it's been around for a rather long time. It is held every year in Shenzhen. And if you go to the Shenzhen Museum in Futian, you will see lots of great photos from like the 2005 China high tech fair of like the Microsoft Windows uh, uh, you know, booth in it, etc. Digressing, the China high tech fair over the last several years has started to have kind of an aerospace sub forum type of thing. And last year we saw an aerospace sub kind of exhibition area where within this huge exhibition hall that has kind of a smart city area and it has a provincial government area and it has international area. It also has kind of an aerospace area. And last year, oh, and, and also just one, one quick uh, clarification that I should have mentioned at the beginning, uh, neither Jean nor I were able to attend this year as uh, that may have been already abundantly clear given the coronavirus. But last year, uh, Jean and I both had attended and we, we had seen uh, Shenzhen Dongfanghong has probably the largest booth at this China high-tech fair aerospace section because it's a very big local aerospace company. And in general, this year, based on the photos that were sent, it seems like there are there were a lot of, of companies. Space City had a big booth. They were emphasizing their SAR Earth observation payloads. There was also an interesting uh, presentation given by Galaxy Space that talked about the results from their uh, 5G broadband test satellite. And I have not heard any controversy from any academics or any telcos about whether that was actually 5G. So it's possible that they got away with that. Um, but for that satellite, uh, the, the takeaways that we saw were 48 gigabits per second of throughput on the satellite, 1.5 gigabits per second of, of throughput to the user terminal. And they claimed to have created a 382 megabit per second 5G network using the test satellite. So it, it would seem um, similar to Xingyun and Hongyun. It seems that with only one test satellite, Galaxy Space has been doing quite a lot of tests uh, on, on this satellite. So um, a few uh, noteworthy takeaways from the China High Tech Fair this year. Again, unfortunately, uh, we were not, neither Jean nor I were able to to attend. Um, but uh, our Dongfang Hong's correspondent uh, Lan Tianyi was uh, was in, in attendance and uh, and sent us some excellent photos and updates. So another year, another China High Tech Fair. Hopefully, uh, one of us will be able to attend next year. But uh, in the meantime, Jean, any any thoughts from your side from the China High Tech Fair? Any uh, any takeaways? Um, well, anything from last year as well that you think is? Well, I think it's 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 really noteworthy that Galaxy uh, Galaxy Space is doing all this all these tests on their five G constellation because uh, they're a private company in the broadband constellation area and um, definitely if they move forward they succeed and they're allowed to you know really you know really to put put into place their constellation that that sets a precedent for a lot of other. Um, more early stage companies that had broadband constellations in mind. So um, it's, yeah, it's really a good point to to mention that, um, well, yeah, they're going forward with these tests. And you could certainly imagine, for example, Galaxy Space trying to say, well, we're going to develop this thing that allows you to integrate satellite with terrestrial 5G. We're going to try to partner with the telcos and maybe partner with some of the satellite operators. Or so. so basically some way of developing neither the space-based infrastructure nor the ground kind of the distribution network, because those are both pretty much dominated by the state if we're talking about like telecoms and space. Um, and so to then just say, we're gonna try to develop that one key piece of technology that links those two things because no one else has done it. 
that seems you know it seems more plausible than saying we're going to launch our own broadband uh, constellation mm. and try to serve you know. So one one other thing that I think is of note from the the China High Tech Fair, and and I would like to do a little bit more research on on the presentation, but I did see a photo sent from uh, from our friend Tian Yi, is that apparently Shenzhen Dongfang Hong showed a presentation of their um, kind of batch manufacturing satellite facility, and it looked highly automated. And we can post this photo uh, on on this this video that we uh, on our video, but but this really highly automated looking satellite uh, manufacturing facility, and I, I think Shenzhen Dongfang Hong is definitely a company to watch insofar as they similar to a company like X-Space, but on sort of the other side of the of the the line. Shenzhen Dongbang Hong, I think, is quite state-owned still, um, but are rather more commercial. Whereas I think X-Space also state-owned, but they're they're quite commercial, but sort of state-owned. Whereas Dongfang Hong is is you know quite state-owned and a bit commercial, I guess maybe if there's any if the, I, I don't I don't know how useful of a distinction that is, but I do feel like there's a spectrum here, and there's kind of like very commercial, and there's like X-Base, and there's Shenzhen Dongfang Hong, and then there's like Cast or something like that. Mm. Um, Either way, a lot of uh, a lot of fun things happening in Shenzhen, and I am pretty gutted about it because I'm about 25 kilometers from there, and I cannot do anything to to go on over the border. But that's uh, such is life during uh, during the 20, uh, 2020 coronavirus, and it is a first world problem if there ever was one. So I suppose I'm okay with it. So in the meantime, uh, we have two weeks left of Movember, so I encourage all of you to check out the video version of this because I will be continuing to support the Movember mustache for at least two more weeks. Uh, and John, anything else from from your side, or are we good for this week? We're all good for this week. Excellent. So, as I said, we have the twenty second and the 29th as the last two Sundays of this month. After that, I will be uh, clean shaven. So, if you are listening to the audio version, again, you've got two weeks to get your act together and get over to YouTube. That uh, that being said, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. I'm Blaine Curcio, and with my co-host, as always, Jean Deville, we will see you next week and be on the lookout for our land space episode coming out this week. And one last point that I forgot to do at the beginning of this episode is send a shout out to our friends at GoTaikonauts who are covering the Chinese space industry in both short and long form for the better part of a decade. Also, shout out to our friends at spacewatch.global who graciously will be reposting this video tomorrow. And we will see you all next week on the China Aerospace News Roundup. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.